0: David Butler is a religion teacher, speaker, writer, podcaster, YouTuber, and someone who is constantly in my ear teaching me little golden nuggets about the gospel of Jesus Christ. David started hosting a YouTube and podcast episode each week with his friend Emily Bell Freeman, where they follow the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints scripture study guide called Come Follow Me, and they tell you what you don't want to miss in the scriptures that week. I got to sit down today and talk to David about some of my very favorite topics, the Bible, Jesus and the Christmas story, how to connect with the scriptures, and a whole lot more. I'm telling you that this interview just gets better and better, so stick around till the end for sure. His insights on the nativity and setting the scene for when Jesus was born was the perfect gift for me this Christmas season, and I know it will be for you too. here today with David Butler, who I consider a friend, even though we've never met. We are like Insta friends. You are in my ear every week, you and Emily, and you teach me about come follow me. And it's so fun. And I feel like I get to hang out with you guys and you just do so much good. And I'm super excited for today's conversation. So thanks for hanging out with me.
1: Yeah, same. Thanks.
0: It's going to be awesome. So David, for anyone who isn't familiar with you, can you give kind of a little bit of background on who you are and what you're up to and why people know you so well?
1: Well, it's kind of surprising why anybody knows me so well. Oh. Um, <laughs> I don't know no. if there's much that they <laughs> want to know, but I've been a teacher and of, of mostly religion classes in high school level and college level for a lot of years. And then I started writing. I always kind of had this thought that I'd like to write, you know? And yeah. uh, so I started to publish some books. And then a friend of mine and I, Emily, and I started this YouTube channel slash podcast that kind of follows through the different books of scriptures every year. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which I'm a member of, kind of follows a, a schedule of scripture reading, you know?
0: Yep. We're going to talk about that too. And so
1: we kind of just follow along. And we have just this kind of, I guess it's like a commentary podcast on, on scripture and that's kind of how I think most people would know me from, from that.
0: Yeah. And it's so fun. It's almost like sports commentary, but like for the gospel, (laughs) because you guys make it so fun and you point out that's the whole point of your YouTube and, and your podcast is don't miss this. Like, Oh, did you see this? Or do you know about that? And I love that. I love that you guys do that.
1: When we started it because there was just a group of moms who wanted to like get into scripture more. And they wanted to learn how to get their kids into scripture more. And so they kind of asked Emily and I, like, can you help us? Like, what what, do we, what can we do? And we were like, well, what if we send out an email once a week to all of you? that just like, here's a couple things in the chapters that like, you don't want to miss. That's where don't miss this came from. That's the name of it. Right. And they're like, yes, yes, please do that. And then it's like two days before we were going to send out the first one. And Emily was like, why don't we just record a video? She was like, do you know how to do YouTube? And I was like, yes, yes, everybody knows how to do YouTube. And she was like, I don't. And then I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Great idea. And then they kind of just passed it and it got passed, 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 passed. And now we're stuck in it.
0: I love it. It's so awesome and helpful. And you know what is, this will be an interesting thing to talk about. When I was a seminary student, I treated the scriptures like textbooks Uh And I feel like I just didn't get that much out of them because I was doing, like, I would kind of be like, okay, today maybe I'll study faith. And then I would bounce around and it just like didn't have that much depth for me. And I feel like I wasn't converted to the the Book of Mormon until I was 28 and I finally read it cover to cover and just fell so in love with it and felt like, oh my gosh, this lit me on fire and I can't ever go without it another day of my life, Yeah, treating the scriptures like a textbook for me. It was probably just a mindset thing, but I struggled to, I sat through all, I like I almost never skipped seminary and felt like I'm just not a scriptorian. This is just not like, it's just not like the dots are not connecting. So mm. how do you help teenagers that are feeling that way?
1: One of the things I was thinking as you were talking is when I jump into a spot in scripture, I'm cheating because I know where I am. And that's just a benefit of doing it professionally. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just kind of like. If, yeah,
0: you should know it so well. Yeah,
1: if you're a roofer, then you have large trap muscles. And that is just what comes from being if a roofer. If you're a what? You know, what? A roofer. Like if you like, you like put on roofs on houses. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I
0: thought it was like an animal or something. I'm like, wait, what is this? I don't know what that is. A
1: that's roofer. I'm
0: like picturing this like furry animal or something. <laughs> like
1: what,
0: what is a roofer? <laughs>
1: So I'm like, if you're a construction worker, okay, you're a construction worker, like by natural benefit, you're going to have huge trap muscles, you know, just because it's what you do all day. Okay. And I'm just saying one of the benefits of my profession is I get to know the scriptures really well, just because I'm in them all the time. So it probably makes it easier for me to jump around because I'm like, I know the context of where I'm at really well.
0: That makes sense
1: because I am opposite of textbook reader okay So like when you talk about textbook I'm just like that does my I do not like textbooks. I don't care for an encyclopedia of Christianity like I wouldn't read it like I actually like I love like the human experience. I love the stories so, so much.
0: You're so good at connecting those dots. How do you help kids to do that? Or not even kids. I'm an adult. I'm, (laughs) and you help me do that a lot, but how, how do you help people get there?
1: I don't know. But one thing I would say is to somebody is like, Oh, use your imagination when you read, like, don't shut off that creative, like imaginary part of your mind because the scriptures, like, they're not like super descriptive. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah. get scenery descriptions and you don't get weather descriptions and you don't get like, you don't get a ton of emotional like descriptions when you read them. They're pretty like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Right.
0: Yeah. Cause it's a journal.
1: Yeah. 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 But if you use your imagination and you're just like, put yourself in the story and you just think, where were they? what was happening? Like why, when they heard Jesus say that, what would they have thought? Kind of like these analyzing questions. And I think now they happen kind of naturally for me, but somebody could train themselves in doing that by like asking those kind of analyzing questions when they get into scripture, like they could like get to a story, a particular spot and just think, okay, what, what is she feeling? right now i wonder and if it were me i think i would feel like this and so if this happens next like what would what would the impact be and like just i i really think like the first thing that comes to mind is to use your imagination and to ask questions i think those go hand in hand and that's a skill set that you can learn too you could actually open up a verse of scripture and try and come up with as many questions about that verse that you can. Like, brainstorm as many questions as possible about it. And, and then it starts to train your mind to, like, oh, what kind of things was I assuming when I read that? And what maybe I thought I understood it because I understood all the words. But, like, did I really understand what was being said? Like, you know what, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, so yes. you just. And, and I think that kind of helps your, helps your mind, like get into that place. So, I mean, those two things I think are, are, and, and I think like people who come to my classes or read my books or my writings or something like that, it starts to rub off on them a little bit mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, okay. I, so many people said like, oh, you've made the scriptures seem real to me. And I'm like, oh, thank you. What a nice compliment. But it kind of shows that like, oh, beforehand, maybe they didn't see these people as like actual people that were dropping in on just a moment in their story. And they have pasts and they have relationships and they have regrets and they have all of these things that people have. Like there's no bad guys and good guys in scripture either. You wouldn't say like, these are the bad guys. There's
0: not. Oh well, man, I feel like there are. I feel like that's like such a, th- that's like a comforting theme to me where I'm like, okay, there, because I feel like every day I send my kids out and I'm like, good luck guys. Hope the world doesn't like eat you alive because it's it's scary out there. And then I look at the scriptures and I'm like, okay, they were dealing with the same kind of just horrible you know, good versus evil pull all the time.
1: For sure. That's like a cosmic like thing going on, right? There is good versus evil. Mm -hmm. But if you were to take a particular person from history or from scripture, like they didn't start as a bad guy.
0: True. Yes. Agreed.
1: There are times in their story where certainly they were like, I mean, you look at Pilate who like hands Jesus over to the Sanhedrin to, to, to be crucified. And his wife comes to him, she says, I had a dream about him. Like, let him go. Don't don't follow through with this. And he and he tries all these things to try and not do it. So you could vilify him and just be black and white and say, Pilate is a bad guy. He committed political murder. And you're like, Yes, he did. But he was so much more complicated than just like black and white. And and also, too, like, I feel like some people in scripture that i label the good guys mm-hmm. are unapproachable i can never be like that person but just to know like they no no they wake up honori also <laughs> sometimes like yeah. they they lose their temper and so that's what i mean for sure i believe in good versus evil i'm not a relativist don't worry but i just <laughs> i also like thinking through the complicated nature of it makes it more real because i'm just like I do things that are like rotten sometimes uh, selfishly and like I might whitewash it and just be like, Oh, I was trying to do this or whatever. But like, I know in me, I have bad intentions sometimes. And I, and I want to like, so I'm that complicated. And so I go into scripture, assuming everybody else is that complicated also.
0: So interesting. Okay. You walked me right into a question that I think I asked one of my seminary teachers, if not all of them. I know I've asked people before who I'm like, they're going to have the answer. And I haven't thought about this in a long time, but my most complex, and maybe this will not be that complex to other people, but my most complex question about the gospel has always been, if Jesus was supposed to be crucified for all of our good, and that was part of the plan, then there kind of had to be people who would do the bad things that would lead him to that. So are they also accountable for that, or it just needed to happen, or— How's that for a weird question?
1: Oh, no, I think a lot of people uh, wonder that kind of thing, but I'm not smart enough to know probably the best answer, but I would say it does not seem to me to be in the character of God to inspire somebody or set somebody up to do something evil. Right. He doesn't set people up. Right. And he doesn't like call people to wickedness. It's against his nature and his character. So that to me is out the window. That doesn't mean I have the answer yet, but it just means like, I don't believe in a God who sets people up. Yeah. Part of it might be solved in that his crucifixion was a, a prophecy and not necessarily a necessity. Meaning, did he actually have to be crucified in order to defeat sin and death? I don't know. But that's how it happened. Yeah. And so when it was prophesied about, it was prophesied about in terms of he will be lifted up. Crucifixion was not a super unique way to die. Right. People were dying by crucifixion by the hundreds of thousands of people, just like mass graves. We look back on it and it seems like this really unique, horrific experience. And it was horrific. Like it was designed to be torturous. But it was not super unique, like anybody passing by Jesus on a cross wouldn't have stopped because it just looked like what they were used to seeing all the time. Mm-hmm. Did he have to be crucified? i don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but i can't I wouldn't say a definite yes, interesting. It seems as if he had to face the scriptures seem to be pretty clear on. That Jesus went to the cross to defeat the devil. That his fight and his battle was with the devil.
0: Yeah. And that's clear in other passages too.
1: Right, right, right. I don't know how and why the devil got power over death. Somehow he had the keys of death and hell. That's what the scriptures say. And Jesus went and took him back. Somehow that seemed to require his death, burial and resurrection. To pull. I don't know what's under the hood with all of that. So that's where all those pieces kind of like sit on the puzzle Mm -hmm. and I don't know how to put them quite all together yet. I was like, okay, okay. I see these pieces here and I see these pieces here and I'm just maybe missing a couple to try and put the whole thing together. But there's a couple of things that I know. I know this is not what the heart and character of God is like. Yep. I know Jesus had to die to defeat the devil, but I don't know how to like put those together necessarily.
0: So interesting. Well, that's helpful and some really good insight. So thank you. Yeah, of course. And it also connects to another question I wanted to ask you and give you the opportunity to talk about, which is you love the cross. And that is so, that is unique for a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of (laughs) Latter-day Saints to have a real love for that. So where did that come from and what are your feelings about that?
1: Because I grew up in Texas, in Houston, in just Baptist territory is yeah. where I grew up. The cross was never a foreign symbol to me. I actually grew up really well accustomed to seeing them, to being around them. In my own faith tradition, going to church, we didn't have them there necessarily. And I didn't see them very much, but I was super familiar, right? When Jenny and I got married, all my mom's rich tennis friends all gave us crystal crosses and vases shaped as crosses, you know, for our wedding and stuff like that. Like it's just, I got a
0: really nice cross for graduation from, yeah, one of my dad's good friends who lived in the South. So totally, it's a thing. Yeah.
1: Right. And so I was just like, so step one, I was always like super used to it. Step two, I don't know when and how and where I got so drawn to it. Like, I can't think of when and where particularly that happened, but somewhere along the way, I just started to like, really see it as, as a beautiful symbol. Like I was like, wait, that's not just a symbol of Christianity. That's a symbol of that moment on the cross. Mm. And I feel like Jesus on the cross is the best picture that we have of what the love of God looks like. That's it. That's, that's God pouring his whole heart and soul out to have someone up there on the cross with the power to like obliterate the whole mountain and, and doesn't and, and takes it. I was just listening to this choir sing before I came in here and they, and they said this line, I like wrote it down when I was listening. because It was so good. And I think I, Oh, it's right here. It said the whole world quaked at love's display. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a pretty line that the whole earth shook and they shook because of how much love was displayed there on the cross. And if I find in the old Testament, for example, something about God that doesn't line up with the same God I see on the cross, Mm -hmm. then there's something that I'm missing because that's like the greatest picture of what his heart and character are like. I'm self-sacrificing. I'm willing to give all to rescue you. My love for you has no bounds. Like I will go to the utter extreme for you. Like that is like, it just is like, oh, do you want to display the love of God in a symbol? That is the symbol that I would display it in. And I just, that's what I see when I see the cross, you know, I see like, It's a horrible scene. Like it was a torture mechanism. Like the early Christians would have been so embarrassed and people would have used it against them that their leader was crucified. Like they didn't use it as a symbol until Constantine, the emperor who kind of like spread Christianity really wide. But it is crazy to me that God can take the most heartbreaking and horrific awful moment in time and turn it into something beautiful and turn it into something that says love. And if he can do that with that scene, I think he can do it with any situation or scenario. Yeah. He can take all of my ugliest moments and most disappointing moments and unexpected moments and turn them into something beautiful that I would hang in my house that I would wear around my neck. And so it's just a, it just has. All of that is wrapped. When I see the cross, that's like what I see, you know? And yeah, that's not the case with everybody. And it doesn't have to be the case with everybody. Like I am not on a crusade to say <laughs> everybody should love the cross.
0: Yeah. And and I don't necessarily, I'm listening to you talk about this and I feel the same way that I felt when I read your first post about it, which was, okay, Wow such a cool, different, unique, not that unique really in all of Christianity, but unique to our church membership. Um, Just something that you don't hear and see a lot of in our church, but I really appreciated that perspective. And I think it's what I really, really admire is your passion and love for the Savior in that way. And to me, what is so cool is so many of us have different relationships with God or relationships with Jesus that look different and and feel different. Because to me, I think of the cross and I think of that time and it, it feels dark to me. And I definitely feel like gratitude for that. But I feel most connected when I think about like Jesus being outside of the tomb and thinking about being a woman who would look at Jesus and, and have that moment where I realize like, oh my gosh, I know you. And you did all of this for me and you're alive now. Like that is what I connect with. And that's what I think of. Like when I think of Jesus, I think of like having a moment like that when I see him someday and feeling like, oh my gosh, I know you.
1: Yeah. And, and if you notice like what you're saying even happens within, this is just a total generalization, but a lot of Catholic People prefer a crucifix
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's Jesus actually on the cross. The yeah. cross is the empty one. Crucifixes and Jesus is on it. The Greek Orthodox Church has a lot of times Jesus on the cross, but displayed as almost like a victorious. And then a lot of Protestants will use the empty cross. Catholics will focus on like, oh, he was a victim. And that's how much our relationship is worth to him. Like, I want to see the suffering. Yeah, because I want to know what I'm worth to him. Greek Orthodox a lot focus on like, oh, he's the he's the victorious one. He's the overcomer, right? He stands at the right hand of the father. Mm -hmm. And like Protestants, the empty cross often represents the empty tomb to them. Oh, it's finished. Yeah, my salvation has been secured. And so people choose different symbols Mm -hmm. that help connect them. Like all of my kids wear a cross. They all ask for them for birthdays and for Christmas. It's like they love it. And it's because of me, like, you know, obviously, like they're just, they all love the Houston Astros also because of me. <laughs> I know that's where they're getting it from. Yeah. But I would want to teach them oh, don't love the cross, love Jesus. If it's a symbol that connects you to him, then awesome. I want you to be connected to him. So I'll hang a cross in my house because. I feel about it the same way you feel about a picture of the empty tomb that you will hang in your house. That's what's cool about it is it's like, oh, I get to just like, I can endow any symbol with meaning and with power. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, I've, where I landed at least with, you know, with the cross and everything. And I'm not trying to be different. I promise. I'm not trying to like be the no the different guy or anything like that. I just genuinely, and I hesitated kind of sharing it a little bit for a while. My love for it just because people.
0: You don't want to cast your pearls out for people to be like, well, that's dumb or something.
1: I don't yeah. want to fight with everybody about this. It's funny because I have a friend who grew up here and, and she said to me, I, I always was a little bit nervous when I saw somebody with a cross on. And I was like, what? Because to me, I was just like, if I saw someone with a cross on, I would think, oh, look, a fellow Christian. Yes. Like,
0: Like, hey, bro, we're in the same. Yeah.
1: I'm like safe in this alleyway with you. Yeah. Because you are showing my friend Tamu actually says, I don't wear a cross for me. I actually wear a cross for other people so that they know what they can expect from me.
0: Oh, that's very cool.
1: But I'm so symbolic and like, like I collect things that remind me. Sentimental. Yeah. Super sentimental. Where I'll just like have stuff on my shelf that I'm just like, oh, like the vase that's, I mean, not the vase. It's a lamp. There's a lamp in my living room that it is made out of alabaster. The base of it is made out of the alabaster stone. And I have it in there because of that story of the woman who breaks open the alabaster box to pour out her, just her love on, onto Jesus. And wow. that's why I bought it. Yeah, <laughs> It also matches, but I bought it for the sole purpose of like, oh, and like, I have an olive tree in our family room because of its symbolism and like i that's just the way i roll a little bit where i just like love it i think like visual images and stuff like that they just speak to me that's cool maybe more than others i don't know
0: you have a gift for writing and the words that you wrote about that really just kind of inspired a change for me like a mind shift of that is really cool and i've never thought of it that way and i appreciated that and appreciate you sharing that here too
1: yeah of course
0: Okay, hey, I want to ask you about something that actually Neil and I were just talking about this morning with kids or people in general. But because you teach kids, you know, seminary kids, when someone is kind of struggling to feel like they're they want to pursue that relationship with Jesus or just to stay in or to stay connected, what do you do? Like, what's your method of like bringing people? Bringing people in or having them feel welcome and wanting to be there more. How do you invite people in when you feel like they're kind of on the edge of just maybe falling out?
1: Maybe a couple things. One, I don't pressure people and I take the pressure off of me that it's my job to like win them back in or something. Yeah. I actually am going to try and just love you for who you are. I don't get a, a raise. (laughs) <laughs> or point in heaven if I win you over. So yeah. I actually feel no pressure. Number one. I have a desire for them to. That's different. Yeah. But I yeah. don't feel like, oh my gosh, that I have to like do something about this or, or whatever. But I just take an approach with people. If somebody is on their way out of relationship with God, my assumption is, oh, someone has not taught you correctly about him. Because if you knew what he was like, I don't think you would walk away. That's not what I say out loud. That's kind of the assumption I take in my mind. There is in scripture, this this set of phrases that Jesus uses where he says, learn of me, listen to my words, then walk in the meekness of my spirit. And I think there is such a good order there. Yeah. Number one has to be number one, which is learn of me. Learn what I'm like, learn how I respond, learn like my personality, Mm -hmm. erase everything else that you've been taught about what I'm like and learn like really who I am. And I think if he says, listen to my words first, I'm like, no, I'm not going to listen to you. Who are you? In Exodus five, when Moses goes to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, Mm -hmm. Pharaoh actually responds back to Moses and says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And that's such a great question. Wow. Such a good question. I'm actually really proud of the Pharaoh because no, I'm not going to bankrupt my entire country just because you said the Lord said so. And I was like, I don't know who that is. Like, why would I like hand my life over to someone that I don't even know? I really try to take the approach with people. It's like, oh. Let me just show you what his character and heart is like. I'm going to share with you, you know, the word gospel means good news. Yeah. And I think I'm going to share good news instead of good advice. Mm. I'm not going to tell you how to live. In this class, I'm going to tell you good news. I'm going to tell you what he's done. I'm going to tell you what he's like. I want to tell you how he feels about you. I want to show you all of those things also. And then after that, You can make your decision if this is the kind of person you want to give your life over to, if this is the kind of person you want to follow, if this is the person that you want to listen to his advice for your life. That's the approach that I take.
2: I
0: love that. So powerful and just simple, too. I feel like good answers oftentimes are.
1: Someone's like, I don't want to listen to him. I don't like God. I'm like, oh, how come? And I'm okay to ask that because it's like, oh, tell me why you don't like him. Because you've had some sort of experience or someone's taught you some story about him that's made you not like him. I kind of feel like my job right now is to like show you what his heart and character is actually like. This is who he, who he really is. And again, it comes back to that thing I said about the cross, why I love it so much, where it's just like, listen, a God who's willing to do that for you, I I promise you he's not out to get you. Yeah. I promise you he's not a petty God. I promise you he's not keeping score. A God who is willing to sacrifice his life for you is is on your side 100% of the time.
0: And I feel like I, I really resonate with what you said about learn of me because, you know, I feel like when I think back to my seminary years, I remember people saying in church or saying in seminary or whatever like oh i jesus is my best friend i'd be like how the, like you don't know him like what are you talking <laughs> about and i remember feeling almost kind of offended by that because it seemed pretentious to me like oh jesus is oh well you you just must be so righteous that jesus is your best friend Yeah, yeah and it yeah. really took until i read the book of mormon like i said before at age 28 and really immersed myself in his teachings. And then I felt like what you said, you know his character, you know what he's like, you know his personality, you know how he deals with sin and with death and with disappointment and all of those things and temptation and just lots of things where before I took the time to really make the scriptures a priority in my life, I did feel like, well, how in the world would you know Jesus? Like you haven't met him, like maybe in maybe in heaven, but who remembers that? So who are you to say that he's your best friend when he's supposed to be kind of equally everybody's best friend or whatever? And the scriptures really did teach me to have that relationship with a real person to me who has characteristics and personality and isn't just this like, Symbol that we think of.
1: And I think it actually changes the way people approach faith and religion. Faith, number one, is a trust word. It's a synonym with trust, especially in the Old Testament. And it's like, do you trust him? And it's like, well, give me a reason to, and I want to know, I need to, I need, I can't, I don't trust someone I don't know, you know? So how can I have faith in a person I don't know? And I just like how much you focused on that relationship aspect, because somewhere along the line for me, I used to be a very routine centered person, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of rule centered. And I think routines and rules are great. But my center is like relationship. Like that's what I'm most interested in is my relationship with with God. And if I have routines and rules that help benefit relationship, Awesome. But when I shifted away from routine centered, I read my scriptures. I say my prayers. I go to church to relationship centered. Nothing on the outside changed. Like my whole lifestyle did not change, but something on the inside changed drastically. And it's made such a big difference in my, just in my, in my faith journey.
2: Yeah.
0: I love that. Okay. I want you to answer this next question. I promise I'm close to wrapping up, but no, I'm great. in two ways, usually I don't like to ask a question that's like, well, first answer this and then answer that. But I feel like they're similar enough that I would love your answer in both of these categories. So if someone really wants to feel connected to the Christmas story. And because this episode is going to go live the week of Christmas. So no pressure. But yeah. <laughs> if someone wants to feel really connected, like they were there, what's your advice on really connecting with that story and reading it and understanding it and feeling like you were there and you could see it and feel it. And then Same kind of for the Old Testament, people who maybe have some trepidation going into some scripture that seems kind of intimidating. And how do you really get into that and feel like you are living that with the people that you're studying about?
1: There's this moment that happens in the Book of Mormon, actually, where there's a a prophet who has a dream. And in the dream, he he sees this tree. And the tree's got this fruit on it that is like happy, makes him happier above everything that makes him happy, joyous above it's pure above all that's pure. It's just this like kind of fruit that might represent like eternal life, even like love eternal. I don't I just and he has this dream. And he wants to know what it means. Well, his son actually wants to know what it means. And so his son actually gets to dream the same dream. That was nice of God to let him have <laughs> And in his dream, he gets a tour guide, which is really nice. Yes. He gets to ask questions too. He asks a question to this angel and says, what's that tree mean? Why do you show it to my dad? Why are you showing it to me? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't answer, but he shows him a vision of Nazareth. And he sees Mary, this poor girl in this backwoods town. Then he sees her holding the little baby, Jesus. We know this Jesus because we're post-Christmas here. And he sees that scene. He sees the manger scene. And then the angel asks him, do you know what the tree means now? And the prophet, his name is Nephi. He's got it. And he says, oh, it's the love of God that sheds forth to all people. And I read it one time and I thought, how did you make that leap?
0: Right. I don't think I would be smart enough to be like.
1: How did you like acted like that was a no brainer? Yeah. But then I kind of tried to see what he saw. And when I saw that young penniless couple embarrassingly put into a stable and the shepherds who came and and just the star and like the king of of heaven and earth born into this humble, sweet dirty place. You know, if I were to like, look at that scene as it was, I was like, Oh, he just made a stable become heaven is, is what he did. And it's so sweet. And I was like, Oh, he saw Christmas. No wonder he figured it out (laughs) that it was the love of God. And I actually think we're lucky. I say to people, use your imagination. But you're kind of lucky because other people have used their imagination already for you and they have filmed an adaptation <laughs> of what they think like that Christmas scene might look like. And I yeah. actually think those are so helpful. Yeah, How rad to live in a time when someone can recreate imagination on screen. I can really get into the story and it's helpful to read the story now having like a picture image in your mind of what it was like and...
0: I'm sure you're, you're referring to the Christ child video. Oh, yeah. That's what you're thinking of. It's like 20 minutes.
1: My two favorite ones are the Christ child. Mm-hmm. And then the chosen just released a Christmas episode. I
0: haven't seen it yet. Oh, my, but gosh. my mom was in the my mom was like apparently waving her arms in the background. So I need to watch it. I was with her. Oh, you were with her. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I need to watch it.
1: They depict the birth of Jesus. So cool. P.S. as a mom, that episode, that Christmas episode was made for moms. Just so you know,
0: like bring my tissues, like
1: Neil will like it and your kids will like it, but you will particularly. (laughs) Okay. That Christ child video. I haven't seen a better one. The chosen one. You're just like, and it's two different perspectives. They're so similar to each other, obviously, because the story is the same.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know. It just pulls you right in so that when you read the story in scripture, you can fill in all this white space between the words. You can just paint the picture and the emotion. There's so much about that story that if you use your imagination, it becomes so beautiful. Like Mary, when she says to the angel, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. If you know what her life is going to look like, if she says yes to the angel, if you know that she'll never get to have like the wedding day that she's dreamt of, and you know that she'll be talked about behind her back for the rest of her life, that she'll always feel inadequate as a mother because who she's raising because of like just everything that's going to come because of that. But that's not in the scriptures. You have to like fill that blank in. And then if you know all of that.
0: And then also lose your son.
1: Everywhere she's going to go. Oh my gosh. And she's going to give birth in a barn. And then she's going to live as a refugee. In Egypt for three years and can't speak the language or or anything. And then she's going to go back to the hometown where everybody, like population 45, where everybody thinks that she's like a hussy. If you know all that, then when you read in Luke, when she says to Gabriel, the angel, when he presents her with what's going to happen, and she says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Or in other words, okay, I'll do what you're asking me to do i'll carry that i'll carry that burden it's oh it's so much sweeter you have to do that with the whole christmas story and luckily people have done some of the background for you so that's just luck you don't have to feel sad about that you just borrow everybody else's hard work and just enjoy the shepherds shepherds you know shepherds were the people who could not hold any other job like they were bottom of the totem pole they had they had rap sheets, you know, and so and they failed their urine tests for employment. Like they just like were just like outcasts. And the fact that like these outcasts who everybody else would not even like give the time of day are the only ones invited. They get they get backstage passes even. You know, they are treated like VIPs and you're just an angels. And anyways,
0: I have to tell you that makes me think of, and I'm just so loving and appreciating all this imagery and all of these beautiful things that you're pointing out. It makes me think of ARP that I go to with my husband. Well, I don't get to go quite as much as I have in the past like seven years, but he goes every week and I go when I can because of young women's now. My calling with the teenage girls when he started going to that. And when I did, and when we were open about it, people were like, yeah, so what are those people? Like, what's it like at those meetings? What are those people like? It's the churches, our church's 12-step meetings. So you've got people who are addicted to anything from drugs or alcohol or gambling or pornography or whatever. The funny thing is, is, well, first of all, they're just like you and me. They're like doctors and lawyers and totally normal looking people, first of all. But second of all, I think of how strong the Spirit is in those meetings because people are working so hard to strengthen their relationship with the Lord and to do everything they need to do to be square and to get their life back in order and thoroughly use the Atonement of Jesus Christ to like walk through, literally walk each step to get to a place where they finally feel peace and feel like they can keep going on a path that's going to take them closer to God, that they're living that pure religion even so much more than a lot of other people who don't have to walk that path. So when you're talking about like kind of the lowest of lows, it's interesting when I go to those meetings, I feel like we are so close to heaven in this room, even though you've got people that are coming in and they just came off a bender. Or they were just high three days ago or whatever. And they're just like, I'm broken and I'm here and I'm going to do whatever it takes. So I'm thinking of that as you're talking about, these are the lowest of lows. And these that's just something that I thought of that I've had lots and lots of feelings about over the years.
1: Amen. Because when you talk about one of those meetings and I'm like, oh, you might as well be in the Bethlehem stable in those places. Like you might, like you might as well be. Yeah. And it's just like, to me, that's the story of Christmas is that God comes into our stories, into the messiness of our stories. He comes Mm -hmm. into the brokenness of our stories that nobody like left the barn to approach the castle. Like if, if the angels had not told the shepherds where to find Jesus, they never would have gone looking for him in that place. They would have gone to the temple or to the palace or some nice vacuumed place. (laughs) Like they never would have gone. But it's just like Jesus came into their story instead of demanding them to come into his, you know. Yeah. So I just it's just so sweet. We went on this little trip to Mexico with our kids to go visit this orphanage down there. And while we were there, we got a chance to go to this. This is garbage dump. It's legit a garbage dump. And there is a church that somebody built in the middle of the garbage dump. Oh, wow. The whole purpose for the church is to feed breakfast to everybody that lives in the garbage dump every morning. Like it's just someone's ministry. It's their personal ministry and they raise money for it and they feed breakfast to people who come. And so we went to go feed breakfast to the people that lived in the dump as part of that trip. We got invited to kind of go along and help out. And it was so everything, everything that you're imagining, imagining that it was and when we left, my oldest son, Jack, I was when we were crossing back, driving back home, I was just asking all the kids, what do you want to take home with you from Mexico? Like, what lesson are you going to bring home with you? I always ask him that at the end of a trip. Like, what are you going to take home? You can take home a Mexican blanket also. But like, what are you going to like <laughs> take home in your heart? And Jack, my oldest, said, I didn't know that you could find God in a garbage dump. And now I know you can And to me, that's that's the story of Christmas. You can actually find God in your story. He comes into it. I love Christmas so much. I love it. Like to me, that just like encapsulates so much of the heart of who God is that it just is like, it's impossible for it not to be a favorite. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I love what you described and the way that you helped bring that alive. And For sure, we'll link to both the Christ child and the chosen's. Version of Christmas that you were in, that you have a cameo in. So we'll look for you too. Also, just I really, really, really want you to give whatever advice you have for really getting into the Old Testament. Cause I know you love it. I've heard you mention a bunch of times you're so excited about it and you can't wait. And I know there are people who are like, oh man, I might take a big long nap next year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They won't. I promise that nobody will. Anybody, you will not take a nap during the Old Testament. It is way too exciting and there are way too many like epic stories in it, you just won't, you can't. If you've got a dude swallowed by a whale. Right. That's an attention catcher right off the bat. My advice for the Old Testament, one I've already mentioned, I'm going to mention it again. And then maybe two others. First one is the past is a foreign country Mm. and you have to learn the way people do things there. So when we study the Old Testament, we are studying, If you do not live in the Middle East, then you have to learn about a whole new culture and country and you have to learn about a whole new culture and country in the past. Mm -hmm. We can do what scholars call presentism and lay our own views of the world and everything on top of the Old Testament. We have to walk into it knowing that is a foreign country and I have to learn the way they do things there to understand what's going on. Okay. So that's number one. You have to approach it with that kind of humility and perspective. We live in the best era of time to study the Old Testament because there are a lot of people who have like painted the Old Testament world for us. Like there's just commentaries and help everywhere. So we're lucky. Yeah. Second, and it goes with the third is I always take the approach in reading the Old Testament to assume the best,
2: hmm.
1: particularly about God.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: There are stories that you'll come across that you're just like that he sounds vicious and vengeful Mm -hmm. and short tempered and narcissistic like that. You could interpret God. as like a really, really awful character. Yeah. Depending on how you're reading the story. My approach is, wait, I want you to assume the best about don't take the approach of like, oh, he just got really mad and just. He's not Zeus, okay? He's not Zeus. And the reason I can assume the best is because of number three. And it's this book that I read by this Christian theologian. He coined this phrase. It was called cross vision. Mm. And he said this, like, let me use this as an example. If I go to downtown Salt Lake, I'm walking on the road and I look across the four lanes of traffic on the other side and I see Jenny, my Jenny, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: who's earth's most docile creature. Just so you know, like she and I are like hundred percent opposite. She is just gracious and calm and kind. And just, she's just like, that's how Neil is too. Picturesque, you know, you're just like, I bring the wild into our relationship. (laughs) And if I looked across the street and I saw her like yelling at a homeless man and kicking over his bucket full of money and like accosting him, I would know there's something happening that I'm not sure about. Because I know what Jenny's like. Mm-hmm. And if unless she's a closet homeless person abuser, <laughs> that I just didn't know. And she's tricked me all these years. But I was like, wait, she's either filming a movie or like I'm being punked or something happened before. Because I know what she's like, I'm going to assume the best about what I see.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm going to say, that looks super alarming. But there's something about it I don't understand. I'm going to assume the best for a minute until I have more information. That cross vision is the concept of the best display of what the heart and character of God is, is Jesus on the cross. That's what he's like. So if what you see in the Old Testament does not match up with that kind, patient, all loving, forgiving God then there's something you don't understand about it. And so assume the best until you learn what it is you don't know. But you can just say like, ah, I know him. I know him for what I see over here. So there's something I'm not getting. They're not including every detail in the story or...
0: Maybe something got lost in translation or something where it meant something back then that it doesn't
1: now or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Take that approach. And here's a bonus fourth. For anybody who needs right now in their life a deliverer, like a God of deliverance, the Old Testament is for you. Like that just will come up as a theme over and over and over again. he's like, I will deliver you. I will rescue you from impossible situations. And I'm going to try again and again and again and again to do it. It just displays how Patient and long-suffering and merciful God is, which is funny because people are like, no, that's a book that does not show that at all. And it's like, oh, I promise you it does. Maybe in the four stories that you know, it doesn't, but learn the whole book, walk the whole history of the people and see, oh my gosh, that God does not give up on his people no matter what. You have to read the whole thing. You have to read, Like you're saying about the Book of Mormon, you have to see the whole story. To really capture like how beautiful it is.
0: I'm excited because, spoiler alert, I have not read <laughs> the Old Testament cover to cover. <laughs> so I'm excited to hopefully keep up with it and at least learn, learn the real meat of it. Yeah. Last question. If there's one message that you want the people listening to this to remember, what do you want that message to be?
1: That you're okay. You're okay. Your story's not over. Mm. Like this is, this is not the end. I believe in a God who can do anything, anytime, anywhere. And it happens on timing that is usually different than we want our timing to be. But you you are being watched over and taken care of. You can assume that. I just want to go into everybody's house (laughs) every morning and just cheer them on and say, like, just keep doing your best. You're doing a good job. Like you're, you're okay. Things that you're worried about, they have a solution. Things that are broken right now, they can be healed. Like it's going to be okay. And I just, and I feel like I can say that because it's God who says it first. Like, who am I to tell you you're okay? My parents were flying and I was a missionary in Korea Mm -hmm. and they were flying in at the end of my mission to come pick me up. And their plane got struck by lightning. That's true. Oh, my gosh. Boom. The lights flickered and like everybody screamed. It was a Korean air flight. So the stewardess got on in Korean and spoke for like a minute in Korean. Oh, no. And then when she was done, she moved over to English. And all she said was, ladies and gentlemen, everything will be okay. And they were like, yeah, right. (laughs) You told all the Koreans where the parachutes were. Like what? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And then you're kind of like, I I don't trust that lady. Who's she? How does she know everything's going to be okay? She's not Thor, the God of thunder. Like, why does she get to decide that? And so you could think that about me too. When I say to you, everything's going to be okay. Those are not my words. Those are Jesus of Nazareth's words. His second most common sermon he loves to give is be not afraid. Yeah. Be not afraid. I've got you. And I love you. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I can approach my life loved and secure and looked after. So that makes me feel like everything's going to be okay.
0: I love that so much. And it's just making me think of my favorite scripture of all time is, and I discovered it when I was read, reading the Book of Mormon for the first time when I was 28. I I got to Second Nephi And I read that scripture that Adam felt that men might be and men are that they might have joy. Mm. And it took what you talked about, those ideas of God being kind of an angry God or a scary God or an intimidating God, or I'm never going to be good enough for God. And it just made me realize, oh, we are here to be happy and to have joy. And that's like the whole point. That's what He wants for us. And it just... It probably means very little to a lot of people, but it just meant everything to me. And just like Mm -hmm. you're saying, like to not live in fear, to not live like waiting for the next bad thing to happen or the next shoe to drop. It's like, you know, living, knowing that the whole design of this whole thing is to have joy. And so I really resonate with what you said and just so many of the things that you shared. Anyway, so... Where can people find you and listen to all of yours and Emily's? We've had Emily on the podcast too, but just to remind people um, where they can study with you along next year for
1: the Old Testament. We're on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. uh, Don't miss this is the name of our YouTube channel. We're actually launching an app, but don't miss this app. Oh, this wow. might be the first place that comes out. Whoops. Um, <laughs> I feel honored. Yeah, we're, we're awesome. like just everything that we do to help you kind of learn the scriptures will just be in one convenient little place.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Will it have the five questions? I love yeah. those. I pull those up with my kids all the time at dinner. Yeah,
1: But they'll be so much easier. It's a section okay. we're calling daily so that you just have like one little thing per day. And, and this year we'll have like sometimes a song, sometimes a picture.
0: That's so cool.
1: We're called Don't Miss This. On, we're on Instagram, YouTube, podcasts.
0: And then your personal Instagram is?
1: My personal Instagram is Mr. Dave Butler.
0: Okay. When we'll link to all of those things in the show notes too. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow.